Well, welcome to church. As you're sitting down, if you want to take your Bible out, put it on your lap, and uh, either write down or begin to turn to these places in the Scripture, starting with Luke chapter 22, Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, and 1 John chapter 3. My goal today is to convince all of us to become waiters. Uh, now, I've only been a waiter uh, one time, and I literally mean one time. Amanda and I were engaged, full-time college student. I was, uh, had a f- another full-time job, but I, I needed a little bit of extra cash leading up to the wedding. So there was an IHOP around the corner. So I went and found a job, walked in on Sunday night. They hired me right away, said, come back tomorrow for a couple of hours of training. And you need to wear the IHOP uniform, which at the time was black pants, a white dress shirt, and a tie. So I went to the store and I bought the tie and the white shirt and the black dress pants. Went back the next afternoon about three o'clock. Nobody in the IHOP, literally no one in the IHOP while I'm doing training until a man walked in, sat down. The manager felt like I was ready enough to, to give it a go. And so she sent me over to the table. I began to take his order. He just wanted a cup of coffee, which was like, whew, first one, this is going to be good. And so for an hour, he sat there. He didn't order anything else. I just refilled his cup a couple of times. Then he asked for the ticket. I brought it to him and he left me a 10 cent tip, you know, which I didn't mind. It's, you know, his whole thing costs a dollar. Uh, they, they said the training went well. They were going to send me the regular shift schedule. The next day I went to my, my normal job and they gave me a raise. Uh, so I called the IHOP and retired from the IHOP. So in total, I lost money on this venture. I, I tried to gain money, but really I spent $20 on my uniform and I gained 10 cents. So uh, it was not a fruitful experience for me. If you know a waiter or, or a person who has been a waitress, uh, they have horror stories. Like one I heard about recently, a guy sat down at his table, was clearly downcast and upset about something. And so his waitress was sort of asking him you know, some questions just to sort of pep up the things and see what was going on. And she said, I can tell that you're sad. Uh, what's up? And he said, well, I haven't seen my, my baby daughter for a while and uh, been a couple of weeks and I'm really missing uh, her. And, uh, you, know, well, what's, you know, why can't you see her? Well, my wife and I just, just were not good right now. What happened? Well, you know, she stabbed me in the back. Man, well, that's awful. What did, like, what did she do? No, literally she stabbed me in the back and he lifted up his shirt and showed her the knife wound. So, uh, so there are some horror stories, but again, my goal is to convince you to become a waiter, and, and here's why, because of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 22. The disciples are arguing about which one of them is the greatest, and he says in verse 27, for who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So in the midst of the argument, he says, who is more important? The people sitting at the table eating or the waiter bringing them their food? Worldly speaking, it's obvious the customer is always right. The one at the table is more important. But Jesus said, no, I have come among you as a waiter. 
real similar passage in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10. This is where we'll spend a majority of our time this morning. This time the disciples are not wrestling among themselves, but two of them, James and John, are having this internal wrestling match about who is going to be the greatest. It says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 10, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You received a listening guide on your way in. There are four things that I want you to write down this morning. Number one, everyone wants to be important. Everyone wants to be important. That's a fact. Whether you're the CEO or the person on the lowest rung, everyone wants to be important. Pastors want to be important. This week I was uh, having uh, coffee with a, a man who has his PhD in religious studies. And so I was asking him about it. He said his dissertation was about the intersection between narcissism and pastors. So I said, will you email that to me? Because I just want to make sure that I retire right up at the point where that becomes true about me. He's like, oh, don't worry, because it happens more like it happens when you get older. So that's probably in your future. Okay, so thank you very much. And I appreciate that. But everyone wants to be important. James and John wanted to be important. What they asked was, Jesus, can we sit on your right hand and on your left hand? Every culture... And microculture has its way of ranking people by importance. Back in Luke chapter 22, when the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest, it says that they were arguing about who was regarded as the greatest. Meaning they didn't really care about who was actually the most important. What mattered to them was who people thought was the most important. They wanted to know who was regarded, who was thought of as the most important. So they have this dispute among themselves. Every culture, every microculture has its way of ranking people. Like even my kids' school. You can tell who the important parents are. Who's on the inside and who's on the outside. When I go to field day, it's clear that I'm on the outside. But there are parents who are proud about being on the inside. They're the ones who get to to, to carry the cooler during field day (laughs) and hold the flag. Every culture, big, small, national, local, we all know how to rank one another according to importance. 
And James and John have a picture in their mind when Jesus becomes king in his kingdom, because that's what they're thinking. They're not thinking the cross or the resurrection and ascension and return. They're thinking very practically. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's going to become the king because God has sent him to be the savior. He's going to sit on a throne. He's going to need help. They're picturing a dinner where Jesus is the guest of honor at the state dinner. He's at the head of the head table. And what they're asking is, can we flank you? We want to be number two and number three, right hand and left hand. Everyone wants to be important. Number two, Jesus shows us there are two paths towards importance. There are two paths toward importance. Verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So he lays out two paths. There's the Gentile way or there's what I'm instructing you. Now they would have been familiar with the Gentile way. The Roman Empire was ruling the world at the time. And before Rome was Greece. And they conquered the world by overpowering the world. They brought in their force. They brought in their infrastructure. They brought in their might. And they took on these countries. So everywhere that the Israelites would have looked in the first century. They could have seen signs of this Roman way of leadership. And that has embedded itself into the heart of James and John. They're essentially trying to do the same thing. I want to be important. Just like Rome is important, I want to be important. So I'm going to maneuver my way into importance. I'm going to make some moves. I'm going to take. I'm not going to wait until it's given to me. And it says that the other 10 disciples are indignant. They're furious. They could have been furious because James and John thought that they were more qualified to be right and left. They could have been indignant because they had a social contract. You know, we're all equal. We're not any grabbing for power. Or they could have been upset because James and John thought of it before they did. Either way, all are upset and Jesus brings them together to teach them about what it really means to be important inside his kingdom. Now, what's interesting is you can put some scriptures together from different gospels and make a pretty compelling case that James and John are actually the cousins of Jesus. Their mother, Salome, would have been Mary's sister. So you can imagine James and John feeling like they have some kind of right, if that's true, to ask for this, uh, this position, nepotism. Hey, we go a long way back. We go back to diapers. I don't know if they had diapers back then, but we go way back to pre-diapers together. So bring us with you when you come into your kingdom. Also, James and John were a part of Jesus' inner circle. He had the 12, but inside the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. And those three got to see things that the other nine didn't get to see. They got to see Jesus resurrect a little girl from the dead. They got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration be transformed into his glorious state, which he is in now. They got to see these things. So imagine how Peter must have felt. Hey, I I thought it was the three amigos. I thought we were all in this together, and here you are cutting me out. In Matthew chapter 20, it it tells this story with a little additional bonus fact that they brought their mom with them. They actually had had their mom ask 
Jesus this question. I mean, can you imagine the other disciples giving James and John a hard time? Like, you brought your mommy to ask this favor of Jesus. They're maneuvering. They want to be important, so they are taking steps to become important. Now, what's crazy is that in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has already promised the 12 disciples importance. Matthew chapter 20 tells the story of James and John and their mother coming to Jesus to ask this question about right and left. But in chapter 19, listen to the words that Jesus says to them. Truly I say to you, in the new world, that means in his kingdom, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they're wrestling with importance at this point, and Jesus says, don't worry, when I'm in my kingdom, I'm going to be on my glorious throne, but you're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the people of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us because we didn't grow up in the 12 tribes of Israel, but this was historic. This is the greatest compliment that you could have received. Jesus is elevating 12 regular people, 12 fishermen, 12 former tax collectors, 12 uh, political uh, world um, uh, uh, consultants. Uh, he, he's taking people, these disciples who had just regular job, regular people, and he's elevating them to be at the position of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. He's saying it's you guys who are going to judge God's historic people. But that's not good enough for James and John. They don't want to be one and two of 12. They want to be one and two of one and two. It says in verse 43, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great, that word great in its original Greek language is megas, mega, whoever would be mega, and that's why James and John were not content with just being one and two of 12. They wanted mega importance, just like you and I are not content with a little bit of authority. We want mega authority we want mega influence given the opportunity we want mega wealth this is what they wanted this is what they had seen in the gentile leaders and so they took steps to take it but the third thing i want you to write down jesus chose the path of a servant If everyone wants to be important, and there are two paths towards importance, Jesus chose the path of a servant. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I came to you as a waiter. Not as someone sitting at the head table. I came as one who serves. And he served us all the way by giving his life as a ransom for many. That means to offer payment for rescue and redemption. If you've been to a funeral lately, you know the importance of being rescued. Because at a funeral, it's obvious that we all owe a debt to death. It's inescapable. And we will all have to pay at some point. Inevitable. But Jesus ransomed us from death, meeting 
we have hope that there's something greater on the other side of that than even what we are experiencing right now. That hope is only possible because of verse 45. He ransomed us. He rescued us from the payment that we would have had to make. And notice that he uses the phrase son of man. The son of man was not a popular title for the coming Messiah, but it is referenced in the Old Testament a few times, mostly by Ezekiel, just in describing himself as a human being as he's talking about miraculous things that he has seen in God. But in Daniel chapter 7, it is used more like a title and one that looks like it fits Jesus. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here it's talking about a son of man who's going to be given authority and dominion and kingdoms and power. Now, if you flip to the book of Revelation, you'll notice some of these exact same words used to describe Jesus, authority, dominion, power, kingdoms. But when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he didn't come in a Daniel chapter seven way, taking for himself power and dominion and authority. He came as a waiter. He came, according to Philippians chapter two, taking the form of a servant. And then we see him right after verse 45, starting in verse 46. He offers service to a blind man named Bartimaeus. Because Bartimaeus was blind, he had been pushed to the margins of his society and needed to beg for money. So he spent a lot of time begging, which meant he was on an even lower rung of society. And so he hears Jesus is coming through as Jesus is kind of parading with a big crowd. And he starts screaming out Jesus' name. Like in an odd and uncomfortable way. And disciples and other people in the crowd are saying, shh, stay, stay over there. Stay over there. But Jesus sees Bartimaeus at a table needing serving. And so he put on his apron and he healed him. Jesus chose the path of a servant. And then number four, he invites us down his path. Everyone wants to be important. There are two paths towards importance. Jesus chose the path of a servant and now he invites us down his path. That's what 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 says. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus ransomed his life for us so we lay down our lives for other people. Verse 43 of Mark chapter 10, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. I find it interesting that Jesus did not crush James and John's desire to be important. He didn't condemn them for that desire to sit at right hand and left hand. So if you were looking for a promotion today, Jesus doesn't condemn you for wanting to be promoted at work. If you'd like a raise, as all of us would, I'm sure. He doesn't condemn you for that. What he would say is that you take that desire to be important and let it push you down the path of being a servant. 
all of us desire it. The only decision for us is not do we want to be important, but will we let that desire push us to maneuver and take, like James and John, or to serve, like Jesus? So if you want to be promoted at work, the question you should be asking tomorrow is how many people here can I serve? If you'd like to be more influential in your neighborhood, how many neighbors can I serve? If you'd like to be more influential at your school, how many teachers can I help? How many administrators can I pray for? The desire to be important should push us down the path of serving people. Now, obviously, that's harder than it sounds because there is no credit in the middle of long-term service. There is no credit in the middle of long-term service. There is credit at the beginning of serving. And we give credit to uh, people when a disaster happens, whether a politician or celebrity or just a regular person. They go down to be helpful and they get credit. We applaud them for that. And then we applaud people who are standing there in the end of an accomplished thing. But in the middle, when the work is being done, there is no one looking. And because there is no one looking, there is no one giving credit. I mean, that's what it must be like to be a waiter. I can't really say because I've only done it once, literally. (laughs) But it seems like the beginning of the interaction between waiter and table is fun. You got a little speech, you make some jokes, you show the menu, you got a little routine, building a little relationship. At the end seems fun because ideally there's a tip associated with it. You're being rewarded financially, which by the way, if you pray at your meal, you need to tip well. Like don't embarrass Jesus by being cheap. So ideally for a waiter or a waitress, there's a blessing at the end. Something good at the beginning, something good at the end. But it's the middle that's the hard part. It's in the middle that I'm like, I don't know what I want to eat. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about that. What do you recommend? Then you make a decision. Then as it comes out of my mouth, oh, I don't really like the way that sounds. I'm going to decide again. Then we ask for refills and more refills. Then we change our mind. And then my kids are spilling their drinks everywhere or I'm spilling my drink everywhere. We're dropping food all over the floor. We're saying, it's not exactly right. This came with mustard and I can't eat mustard. I'm allergic to mustard. Not really, but it's gross. So I might as well be (laughs) allergic to it. I need you to send it back. I don't want to be sending it back, but I need to. In the middle is hard. And no one thinks about the middle. And because there's no credit, that's why most people never endure the middle. But if you want to be important, this is the path. You are the most influential in this world when you are a waiter. And in my opinion, it's when you're the most fulfilled. As you know, we're still in the middle of rebuilding people's homes from Hurricane Harvey. And our pastoral staff took a Thursday a couple of weeks ago and did that instead of our normal jobs. And I was at Miss Shirley's house. And Miss Shirley is wonderful and bright and vibrant. And, uh, but in a lot of ways, her home looks like it did 
uh, one year ago. And so there was lots of work that could be done to help her. But the biggest thing, in my opinion, was uh, she needed somebody to mow her yard. Uh, the grass was incredibly tall and, um, and just not a good situation. And so I volunteered to do that job. And so I spent the afternoon mowing Miss Shirley's yard. I love so much of my job uh, here. So great. Um, but none of it is more fulfilling than mowing Miss Shirley's yard that afternoon. Sometimes as fulfilling, but never more fulfilling. Because you and I were not born to bear titles. We were born to wear aprons. And so if you're looking for fulfillment today, it will not come at the end of your maneuvers. It will come at the end of a question, how can I help you in Jesus' name? Amanda and I spend every Friday together. It's my day off and our kids are in school. I am a person of compulsive habit. That's, that's the nicest way to say that, I think. And, uh, and so we eat at the same restaurant and I like to sit at the same table if possible. And I get a cup of coffee and avocado toast. And I knew I was talking about these things today. So I spent a lot of time watching our waiter. I hope that wasn't weird for them, but uh, I don't think they noticed. And I left a good tip, so I'm sure it was fine either way. But here's, here's what I noticed. Um, they never sat down. The whole time we were there, they never sat down. They'd be at our table. They'd bounce into the kitchen, back out to some other tables, like a ping pong ball the whole time that we were there. And my guess is that that's how they spent their entire shift. Just on their feet the whole time, never sitting down. And that's really the question for us today. Is what kind of person will we be? Will we be the kind of person who takes a seat to be served? Or are we people who will stand up to serve? Every one of us wants to be important. And Jesus has laid out two paths for us to find that importance. But he only chose one of them. And he has invited us down that same path the path of being a waiter and it's there that you are influential and it's there that you are fulfilled and it's there that you are most like Jesus and I don't know about you but I think Houston has yet to see the influence of a church filled with waiters Let's put on our aprons. Let's pray.